Hello and welcome to the Adventures in Arting podcast. My name is Julie Fafan Balzer and I'm a working artist and mother to a curious toddler. My business, Balzer Designs, is all about helping you to live an artful life through thoughtful art education. On this podcast, together with my super special co-host and my mom, Eileen Shoe Balzer, we ask questions of each other and our guests while discussing learning, the creative career path, finding balance, looking at art, setting goals, and why being creative matters. So our goal is for this podcast to stimulate your imagination. So hi, mom. Hi, Julie. I feel stimulated already just seeing <laughs> you with those earrings. I thought they might be too small, but I feel good about them. I basically have been an earring factory. I'm um, doing two art fairs coming up in August. And I just, I have in front of me right now, a million different like little pieces that are going to be earrings. I have behind me a million different things of earrings. And I have always had this problem, which is that I love big earrings, but they can be really heavy. So I've been making these really sort of light featherweight earrings out of fabric and paper and plastic and anything I can figure out that's going to be hearty, um, but light. If I'd known, I would have worn some big earrings that you gave me and then we could have, we could have been up there. I like it. You know, I always wanted to dress in mommy and me clothes when I was little and you never wanted to, uh, which much to my deep disappointment, all of my mommy issues I have now are because of that. I'm uh, sure there are many other things I did. As well. <laughs> but now I have to say, we did a whole show on the, all the things you present. Maybe, you know what I was going to say. So originally the topic today we were going to talk about was failure, but perhaps it's your failure as a mother that we exactly. can talk about. What a great topic. <laughs> Stay tuned. So what we really want to talk about is how failure is ubiquitous, how it's to be expected. Um, I want to talk about some methods for not letting failure shut you down and some reminders that failure is actually a positive. Now, when I mentioned this topic to mom, the first thing that she said is, didn't we already do a show on failure? And so, you know, we've been podcasting since 2012. It is now 2022. So that's 10 years, which is kind of hard to believe. But that uh, uh, we actually have done failure. It was episode one. Wow. I know. Right on the top of our list. Well, and I think the reason for that is because failure is something that I think so many people fear and it becomes a um, thing that stops you from moving forward. And yet failure is, is something that I think is so important for people to embrace an experience. And, you know, I think um, Silicon Valley has really taken up this idea of failure and embraced it. If you look at what's happening in the tech industry, you know, people brandish as party talk, how many failed startups have you been in? And it's kind of like a cool thing to be like, oh, I've done six failed startups, but this one is getting sold or this one's going public because it's like you've been through the desert or there's even this thing. I mean, you hear it on Shark Tank sometimes where people talk about fail fast, right? You want to like go at your idea super hard. And if it's going to be a failure, you want to know now and not 10 years from now. So you want to fail fast. And so I think partially because, um, you know, that's starting to be embraced in tech. I've heard a lot of people say that, that actually educationally, we need to start embracing this idea of failure. And one of the reasons that Americans are falling behind in so many different ways um, in terms of, 
you know, like sort of where the rest of the world is, is because we have such an enormous fear of failure and telling people that they can't fail and that failure equals bad and all that kind of stuff. And the kids that we embrace as being smart and successful are kind of the ones who never fail, the ones who just like sort of memorize what they need to memorize and sort of spit it back at you. But the truth is that I think that true creativity, true innovation, all those things, you have to fail to get there. There is no road to success without failure if you really want to be creative. So feel free to argue with me, mom. What do you think? Is that true or false? Well, I don't think it's just only restricted to uh, American education system, this uh, feeling that you should never fail in order to be smart. But I will say, let's look at your little toddler. Uh Uh-huh. And... Did he just get up one day and start walking and talking? No. <laughs> no. That would have been really frightening. We would have been in hmm. some kind of one of those horror movies. <laughs> what I really have found interesting is the process that he goes through with everything that he's learning. Some things he learns more quickly than others. Some things he is excited about. And we encourage that. And when he finally does it and we all go, yay! You know what I mean? Yeah. Good job. There's really a feeling of having achieved something. Now, if he had just, oh, I'm just going to get up today and start, you know, quoting the Declaration of Independence, I don't think we would have felt as excited. Frightened, yes, but not excited. Well, isn't this we, didn't, the- we didn't see the work. Right. The old circus trick, right? Even though those performers can juggle successfully 100 times in a row, they miss during the performance at least a couple times so that you as an audience go, oh, this is hard. Sometimes you miss and then they have to try again. And then the audience erupts into bigger applause because now they see that it was difficult. So I think the idea that we have promoted in some schools less now but we that the smart kids are the kids who never make a mistake I wonder if that's a real disservice and it also I think discourages kids from asking questions Questions, because they're perceived as not as bright because they need help and needing help is bad Well, I've also read a whole bunch of articles recently about um, sort of kids committing suicide and the anxiety levels of high-performing children and like all these issues like that there's just people are like, I mean, children basically are wrecking themselves to get into a good school and like all this kind of stuff. And, And it does make you think that maybe we need to change a little bit the definition of success or make space for saying like, it's okay to fail and that when you fail, you have choices. I think the thing that you always said to me, like when I was unhappy is you always said, listen, you're only unhappy when you're ready to make a change. So why don't we look at unhappiness as a good thing? Because it means that you're going to make a change. So think about what you'd like to change and let's work on that, you know, and that changes, obviously that I'm using the word change too many times that alters the way that you feel about that, those negative feelings. Cause suddenly you're like, oh, this is actually an opportunity. And I just have to figure out what I want to do. And I think failure is the same thing, which is 
if you try something and fail at it, you actually now have the choice. Do you want to do that again and alter it in some way to see if you get a different outcome? Do you want to completely change course? You know, again, I think it's taking the power back from failure and saying like, you are not in charge of me. It's kind of like when you get fired from something, understanding that, you know, that you know, can be seen as a failure or it can be seen as an opportunity. We were actually talking about this the other day. You said, right. You said nobody, when they're fired, when you tell them like, enjoy this time ever enjoys it because they're too anxious yeah. about finding the new job. They're, you know, feeling terrible about whatever happened in the firing. It's like all this stuff. And so you don't actually enjoy the free time that you now have been gifted to do something with Yes. You have to look for a new job and all this stuff, but beyond that. And I think, again, I think failure is an opportunity, you know, feeling um, disappointed in something is an opportunity. You get to do something to create that opportunity. Well, it's an opportunity to redefine what your goal is, Mm -hmm. which is an important creative act. Um, Going back to this thing you said about pushing kids or they push themselves to get into, quote unquote, a good college. I have found that a lot of smart people worked really hard in high school to get into good college, whatever that is, and then didn't know what to do when they got there. Yeah. Because that was their goal. And when that goal was gone, then what? It's just like a lot of people work really hard on the wedding right? without thinking about the marriage, yeah, which should be the goal there. Um, or they work on, they're really focused on having a baby, having the perfect experience of pregnancy and having a baby without really thinking about what they're going to have to do subsequently to make it work for both them and the baby you know, that a lot of, there'll be life changes and they'll be uh, reassessing things. And you'll Uh, never sleep again, in case you you were wondering. Uh, no, but years from now, you will sleep like the <laughs> oh, baby. I will, like the dead. Yeah. Uh, what I was going to say is, but to relate it back to art for just one second, it also makes me think of like, so you want to paint realistically. So you work and you work and you work and you work and you work until you can paint whatever it is you want, a horse, a person, a house, realistically. But then the question is, so what? Like, so then what is your style? What is your voice? What are you trying to do with your art? Like you haven't worked on that part of it, you know, and being so singular in that goal. So, and I think this gets back to the flip side of failure, which is success, which is what do you do with success when you finally reach that goal? How can success be a failure because you've reached it and now you don't know what to do with it? Or can you find a way to sort of keep thinking what the next thing is that you want to do with it? Well, what does it mean to you? You know, what does success mean to you? To me personally right now, is this a real question or a rhetorical question? I would say it means sleep. Uh, (laughs) If I, like if I define my whole life around getting into the, I just had my college reunion. Your 150th college reunion? Yeah, actually. And one of the things about it is the people who are interesting are not the people who are 
still defining their lives by getting into college. So what they did when they were 16 or 17, that was the pinnacle of everything for them. I think success should be defined as you're still interested in something, you're still creating something, you're still learning something. Then to me, that's a success. And yeah, well, I think this is, yeah. I was gonna say, this is part and parcel. I've been talking to a lot of my students um, lately about this idea of setting goals and why setting goals matters. And okay. I think what it comes down to finally is this idea that if you set a goal, then you can achieve it. Once you can achieve it, then you feel good about yourself. Once you feel good about yourself, then you're willing to take a bigger risk or step a little further or push out. If you never set a goal, you don't know if you're succeeding. Then you kind of don't know how you feel about yourself. Then you kind of, do you know what I mean? And so even if you set a goal and you fail, you still have a sense of sort of where you are and you know what's happening as opposed to sort of meandering around aimlessly. I think of it as like, do you get in the car and know where you're going or do you just kind of drive until something happens to you? And so I think for me, the goal setting really helps me to clarify what I want, where I'm at, and also defines for me the things I maybe need to work on and that could be like, oh, I need to buy some supplies because I'm not going to be able to do this until that. Or, oh, I need to clean this mess up because I'm not going to be able to do the things I need to do until that happens. Or, oh, you know what? This part of the project is going to take a really long time. So I need to find a dedicated space of time that I can do that because I can't do it in little chunks or something like that. It just, it helps me to wrap my brain around what's happening. I think, you know, a lot of times people ask me for like, what is my productivity hint? And I, I think over the years I've tried to give out different sort of spaces I've been in, but what it sort of always has come back to for me is simply goal setting. If I set a goal, then I know how, about how long it's going to take me and I can get a sense of, you know, getting it done. Anyway, but I interrupted you. What were well, you there's a, And I'm sure it was a, a very vital thought. The latest issue of New York Magazine is what they call their television issue. It's all kinds of articles and analysis of uh, what's going on in the world of television production. And one of the articles is anonymous statements from various showrunners. The showrunner is the person who is basically responsible to the studio for everything that goes on. Uh, and the, uh, one of the things they complain about, every single one of them, and they have run some quite successful shows. Some have been canceled, some have not, you know what I mean? But variety of things. They never get any information. They never know how they're doing. They don't get any hard numbers. They ask and ask and never find out. And then out of the blue, they'll get canceled or they'll get, you know, switched to another network or things will come at them and they don't know why. They don't get their audience numbers. They have no idea when comments are made to them by the studio or by the producers what what it's all based on. This reminds yes. me of an article I read from Inc. Magazine that was talking about like how to be a good manager. And one of the first things it said is like give people concrete feedback. They need it. People need it. They're looking for that. But so it creates this sense of just floating in an unknown world and 
unlike theater, for example, when you get instant feedback from your audience, they either laugh and cry and applaud or they don't. They either buy tickets or they don't. You don't even know if people are tuning into your show or not because the studio won't tell you. This is what I've also heard people say about teaching on Zoom versus teaching in person is that they feel like they don't get the same kind of feedback from the video thing as they do from an in-person experience, which I get. But I also feel like I don't want to bring my supplies to a classroom ever again because it's so fun to have everything here and not have to travel. But that's a separate issue. Some Um, of the feedback also, when you meet in person, you do pick up things subliminally. You do pick up things from people's physical attitude in the class. I mean, there is that. It's true. Like I can tell when a student's struggling or unhappy much more easily in person than I can on Zoom. I also like having little side conversations and getting to know people personally, which is much harder because it seems, you know, and and so there are pros and cons and, you know, someday I will return to an in-person classroom. Um, but I, I do think that again, all of this, all of this is about getting feedback, which I think we've also talked about before, but I'll just reiterate one of the reasons that critique groups are really important, whether it's a group of people, you know, or it's a coaching group that you pay for or whatever it is. But one of the reasons that I think that's vitally important is the feedback aspect so that you're not just like sitting in a room by yourself. You are having people say to you, Hey, I, you know, so when I do group coaching once a month, I, you know, people will come and they'll show their work, but a lot of times they'll just say like, listen, by next month, I want to have X done. And then they come and either they do or they don't, you know, and then I can say like, you know, based on what you said last month and now seeing you from here, I've see, I see how much your work has grown and I can see that change and you are headed in the right direction. As opposed to if I saw their work for the first time and hadn't had that previous experience, I might not have recognize the growth. It's kind of like you were saying about my son, you know, I'm clapping for him when he manages to make, kick the soccer ball into the cone. But if he were 22, I would probably be less impressed, right? We meet people where they are in terms of their learning. Now it's easier when they're kids because I can see that you're two feet tall or three feet tall. And so it makes sense that you're a little kid and you can't, you know, do certain things. It's harder when you're a grown up, and I don't know at what point in your art journey you are. Are you a toddler in your art journey? Are you a teenager in your art journey? Or are you, you know, an, an old lady who's been around on your art journey? Like, I don't know by looking at you. And so I think that's another really important um, thing to explore when you're getting feedback is to let people know sort of what your goal was and how you feel about achieving the goal and then let the feedback sort of come in on top of that. But there's an additional step, which I think you're very good at bringing your students around to, which is if you haven't made your goal, talk about why, analyze why. You may have changed your mind about not wanting to reach that goal. You may have decided to do something completely different, or there may be other constraints or reasons. It's important to understand why you did or did not reach that goal. And also, you know, picking one month is arbitrary. Maybe Maybe I'll learn to make an incredible souffle, but it will take me five years instead of five days. And that's okay. This is the old James Pierre ice cream thing. What? 
I was going to say, this is the old James Clear ice cube thing that I know we've talked about before, which is like an ice cube melts when it's above freezing, right? Which is a one degree change. So even though you're changing one degree, one degree from 26 to 27, 27 to 28, 28 to 29, right? It isn't until you actually reach that freezing point, one degree, you know, 32 to 33, that you're going to start to see the ice cube melt. So you think nothing's been happening, but each of those degree changes does make a difference. It's just not the ice cube's melting point. So you're an ice cube. So sometimes it feels like you're not making any progress, right? But you actually are. You're just waiting for that melting point when it makes that huge change. Now, if you went all the way up to 70, the ice cube would melt like that, as opposed to just like a little bit slowly. And that's the same with you. You just have to figure out, you know what I mean, where you are in that. And I've always liked that idea of change being slow and certain things making a difference that you may not be totally conscious of. And that one degree is still one degree, but it may be the degree that matters. Right. Sometimes it can be discovering someone who is tuned into you and can become a mentor or a buddy, art buddy or whatever. Sometimes it's discovering a a supply that you really vibe with. Mm -hmm. I I just think uh, the point of this setting goals is not so you can reach another point on the graph, you know, ah, success, I'm going up on the graph. I think it's, it gives you some structure, a structured way to, it's like a little map of your journey, but you don't have to stick to the map. Right. There's no way to be an artist. How to be an artist in three steps, one, two, three, right? And it isn't, it's not even like there is more than one way to be a doctor or a lawyer, but but you still have to pass certain gates to be a doctor and a lawyer, right? You still have to go to med school. You still have to pass your boards. You still have to have a residency. Like you do have to put those points. With an artist, you don't have to go to art school. You don't have to have an art degree. You don't have to pass a test. You don't have to even be in a gallery. You don't have to, I mean, there are a lot of things that you don't have to do to be an artist. So then what happens is because there isn't a like follow this general trajectory you have to make so much of it up it's even like how do you learn to draw other than telling you practice 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 and giving you some tips on how i learn to draw do you know what i mean i don't know how the workings of your brain are and so that's why i think it's so important to set goals internally for goals to be personal for you to know for yourself what's failure and success so like you may show me a drawing and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's great. I love it. And you're like, I hate it. Well, then it's a failure to you and it's a success to me. But what really matters is your opinion, not mine, or even the other way. If you love it and I think it's a hot mess, then and it's a failure to me and it's a success to you, then again, that's what matters. And that's why this is like, okay, I, everything relates to my child, but that's partially the season of my life that I'm in. I'm living, breathing, sleeping, you know, him. Um, but so the other day lucky, we were taking him. Because not right. everybody has Not everybody that. has that. It's true. Um, so I was taking him to soccer practice and I use the term very lightly because he's two. Uh, and so we go and, and uh, I'm prepping him and I'm saying, oh, your soccer practice. It's, you know, you can see the police station from the soccer field. You can wave to the policeman. And so he said to me, Oh, the firemen are going to be so impressed when I kick the ball. And there were several things about that statement, besides the fact that the firemen aren't at the police station. Uh, But the fact that he immediately was like, oh, they're going to be so impressed. And I 
immediately was like, oh no, have I done this to him where impressing people is important to him or he thinks of that as something that he needs to do and he's two and have I put all this crushing pressure of making him a people pleaser without meaning to, right? But part of that he is an only and eldest child, so they are people pleasers. Naturally. So you're telling me I didn't ruin him yet. Uh, no, it's, I'm just saying. <laughs> but the, part of it comes with the territory. <laughs> the extrapolation from it is that one of the big parenting things that I think everybody consciously talks about, whether it's like mommy influencers or doctors or anything, is they talk about helping your child to understand that you don't say, I'm proud of you. You say, aren't you proud of yourself when they make a, you know, achievement so that they understand that the thing that matters is them being proud, not you being proud, right? And so I think that by setting goals and defining for yourself what success is and what failure is, that's how you become that person who's proud of yourself and not needing other people. I hear from so many people who don't get the validation they want from their husband, from their family, from their children, from brothers and sisters, from, you know, um, Instagram, from Facebook, from TikTok, from, you know, wherever they put their work from strangers. And it's like, they want that external validation and external validation feels good. Man, does it feel good when complete strangers who don't know you at all say you're awesome. But it also feels really, really bad when complete strangers who don't know you at all say mean things to you. You know what I mean? And that of course is the thing, which is if the, the positive right, is what you need to fill you up, then guess what the negative is going to do for you too, because you're not going to have that shield. But if you can internally root yourself in your own opinions of yourself, ooh, it's hard. Ooh, it's a life goal, right? But I really believe that if you can do that, and it's something I work on every single day, it's not like I'm succeeding and I'm standing on the hill looking down at you saying, do what I say. This is like an active thing that I work on all the time, is remembering that I get to define what's successful and I get to define what's a failure. And that means that only I have to be happy. As Catherine Hepburn said, if you always do what you want, at least one person is happy. And that's something my toddler subscribes to. <laughs> well, I'm going to just say that a very important three words when you face a criticism is consider the source. Mm-hmm. Is it someone who knows you, who cares about you, who's really interested in you, and whose opinion is important to you? Or is it some anonymous troll, you know, in the middle of the night, typing something that for some reason you give credence to because somehow you fear it might be true? Yeah, although I do say I, I do know that there are people who have people in their lives who they love and who they care about who do not support their art work or their art journey or yeah, do not that's value. That's what the source means. It's not just yeah. who it is. It's what is their relationship to your creative growth. Right. Is it helpful right. or is it unhelpful? And I do think, too, sometimes I give a sports metaphor, which is, I, which is you know, if somebody goes out and plays golf every weekend and they're still, you know, not on the PGA tour, perhaps we should take away their golf clubs 
and say, you've spent a year and thousands of dollars playing golf all the time, watching golf videos, taking golf lessons, going on golf vacation, and you are not on the PGA Tour earning lots of money doing this? Done. This is over. Right? That sounds absurd. You sound crazy. And yet we do that with art. And the question is why? Why can't art just be a hobby? Why can't it be something that you want to get better at because you enjoy getting better at it? Why does it something have to be something that generates money? Why does it have to be something, you know what I mean, that you don't just do for relaxation, for stress release, for hanging out with your friends? Of course it can be a vacation. Of course it can be a destination. People live on golf courses. What's so weird about living at the art supply store then? It's the same thing. You get a good feeling looking at all that stuff you don't own, right? but it feels really nice to see it all. That's part of the reason people window shop. It is. I, mean, I will just say this, that golf metaphors devastated me. I think. <laughs> Cause you're not on the PGA tour. I've, I've worked my way up on in mini golf ah. to the point where I'm not too terrible. And I thought of myself as like on the ladder, but now I realize. <laughs> Yeah, I think that we just need to, again, define success and define failure. And I think it can help your loved ones get on board if you say to them what your goal is. I am trying to paint more freely. So when they say this looks kind of, you can say, thank you. That's great. That's what I was going for is I'm trying to paint more freely. Does this seem more free? And it's kind of like, um, I have found that, sorry to always bring it back to my toddler, but I have found that if I ask him an open-ended question, it doesn't go well, right? What when did you do in school today? Right. But if you ask him a like, question that's like, do you want me to carry you up the stairs or do you want to walk up the stairs? Then he can choose and we all, everybody gets to be successful. So can you say to someone when showing them your work, say, I was trying to, uh, you know, make something that felt happy. Does this make you feel happy or does this not make you feel happy? Then you can find, get the feedback you need to push yourself further because maybe they can define why it does make them happy or why it doesn't. And then you will have learned something. If you just say, what do you think of this? Well, that opens up a whole can of worms now, doesn't it? You know? And so again, it's like, you get to define the question, you get to define the success and the failure of it, all those things. You have the power. This is also what I tell my toddler all the time. You have the power, you get to make the decision, you get to be in charge, he just eats it all up. And then I give him two choices. Do you want Cheerios or do you want rice? Hope he, he never catches that. Yeah. He wants both. <laughs> anyway, so I just want to, and think about this topic, it's obviously a huge one, and I think you could think about it sort of your whole life. Uh, one of the things that I wanted to do in terms of talking about all the different um, ways that you can deal with failure, I want to just sort of recap a couple ideas, a couple learning points that I want you to really keep in. So one is the idea that failure can be an opportunity, and that's a mind change. Think about what can you do with this failure? Are you, is the failure going to be something that you learn and so then you change? Is the failure going to be something where you 
you know, uh, make a resolution to work harder? Is the failure going to be like, what is the failure going to be to you? But remembering that it's an opportunity. The other thing to remember is that failure is not permanent and it isn't fatal, right? Is that, I mean, particularly when we're talking about art supplies. I mean, I suppose if you were a surgeon, that's a separate issue and we don't have to talk about that. But particularly when you're working with, you know, whether it's, um, you know, earring supplies, which I'm staring at right now on my desk or paint or paper or sewing or whatever it is, that in the end, if the worst thing that happens is you have to chuck it, what you've really lost is the time and the materials. And it's kind of like, it was a learning experience. That was your practice, right? Now you get to move on to the next thing. Then I think we've talked a lot about goal setting and the, how that can help you define failure and success for yourself and really root it in what you want it to be. And then I think the last takeaway, at least for me, mom, you might have some others, sort of about this idea of failure is just to remember that like every, it's kind of the old, like they picture everybody in their underwear, but every single person you look at anywhere on the internet, in person, every, every one of those people has had failure, multiple failures. I've had like six failures today. Okay. So everybody has had failure, right? So we're absolutely, you're not alone. And that might make you feel a little better. You're not the only one Nobody knows even that it's a failure necessarily because you, again, are defining that for yourself. And again, it's like, it's not something to be scared of, I guess is the way that I would put it. I think the more you can embrace failure, the more successful you'll be. What do you I think? think one of the important things is to learn how to articulate how you feel about the things that you have created. It's not any, it's not helpful to you to say, this cake is horrible and then just toss it because, <laughs> you, right. you know, how have you learned from it? Right. Uh, and also then how do you encourage other people to give you, when I say constructive, you immediately think, oh, they're going to teach you something, but really it's useful. Feed, yeah. Useful feedback. Um, you know, maybe a little more salt in this. Mm -hmm. uh, and the other thing is like... Fill this white space with something on the wall. Even if somebody says like, I don't like cherries and you fed them a cherry pie, then that's good to know. So like if you show right. somebody a painting and they're like, oh, I don't really like brown. Well, then you understand why they're not liking the painting if it's 90% brown. I think that's right. And, and then the other thing is that consider the source issue, I think is very important. Can I ask you, I, I sent you an article maybe a week or two ago. Oh no, is this like when there's a pop quiz and I haven't read the material? Yes, what? yes, what? you're on the spot and don't fail. Um, so the, I sent you an article about what people, artists said about going to art school. Mm. And, and I you told said, you that it made me feel depressed. Yes. Can you tell me why? Because we never got a chance to discuss that. So this was a long article with lots of people talking about um, how art school had sort of influenced their career. And they had gone to a variety of different kinds of art schools, some extraordinarily prestigious and some less prestigious. And I got really depressed 
reading it because the number one thing that sort of unilaterally everyone said about art school was not necessarily that their time in the classroom was valuable, that varied from person to person, but across the board, it was about the connections they made. It's kind of like the business school thing. I don't exactly. go to business school to actually sit in class. You go to business school to meet the people who exactly. are going to help you, right? Exactly with the rest of your career, right? And so to me, it felt very much like they all said, oh, the only reason I got into a gallery was through my friend that I met, da, 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 or this one professor really helped me, da, da, da. And so it was all about these connections. And I think I felt very much like, well, if everybody goes to art school to make these connections, I didn't go to art school. I was never gonna have the opportunity to make these connections. I feel, you know, I moved to Boston as a grown up after having lived in New York for many, many years. And then I had a baby and then there was a pandemic. And like, I just feel like I don't have a network. I don't have a con connection here. I don't, I don't feel plugged into anything here. And if I didn't go to art school, I'm just never going to be a part of it. And I started to sort of have just a like, a, a death spiral. Yeah, I mean, it's not like a death spiral. Like, I didn't lie on the floor and cry. But it's like, the article just made me feel bad. Now, I don't think anybody would logically say, like, oh, I'm going to send Julie this article about artists in art school and to make her feel bad. Which is also the thing. Like, you never know. Sort of people have baggage, right? But, yeah. It just made me feel like, well, my goals are unachievable then. Because this is the only route to getting those things. And what was the goal? I guess being a working artist, which I am. So that's stupid. Yeah. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. So see, there inherently is the problem, right? Define the goal. Well, the goal is to be a working artist. Am I a working artist? Yes. Do I support my family? Yes. Do I make a six-figure salary? Yes. So then all of those things are like success, 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 success. Do I have this, a traditional art career? No. Do I have the same career that these people have? No. You know, I think we, I may be a little bit of a grass is greener kind of person sort of being like, oh, if only I were 20 and had gone to RISD and just had these connections with the people that I knew, but I didn't. What? You're looking at me with a mom. I think that's, it's important for you to realize that you that you are punishing yourself unnecessarily. I don't. <laughs> Right? Yeah. I don't think I'm punishing myself. I mean, I think I just, I think this is the thing that a lot of people do, which I'm guilty of, right? Which is something I tell my clients and my students and stuff all the time, which is we most often can recognize the things that people do because we do them to ourselves, right? So I am very guilty of taking the things that I do well for granted. Yes, yes, for sure. Have for, sure. for granted. Like, oh, I can do that. That must be easy. If I if I can do we it. We value things. And it must be easy. That are that you have now managed to accomplish easily and you maybe overvalue things that you that have. haven't done. Yeah. I think it's again like different paths. Like I completely undervalue the fact that I can you know, throw together a YouTube video without really thinking about it. Or I can put together this podcast in my sleep or I can, do you know what I mean? Like keep up with, I, I, I mean, I maintained, designed, started, did all of my own website stuff because I taught myself how to do it, you know? And it's like, instead of, instead of being like, good job, Julie, 
I'm like, oh, I stink at this. I still have to Google how to do everything, you know? And it's like, well, you know, there are plenty of people who can't do that. So I, I can't do that. And I just, I just, <laughs> you just call phone. me and then I Google it. Uh, no, but I think like we always undervalue, right? The things that are easy for us because they're easy for us. And so we undervalue them. So yes, let's define success and failure. I want to be a working artist. I am a working artist. Yay! What's the next thing? Sleep. Vogue model. You know, <laughs> I mean, you have to, if you want something, do ask yourself why and what is it about that thing that's attractive and what is it about that thing would be a problem in your yeah. life. You know. Well, and do ask yourself, like, if you're willing to do the things that you need to get to do it. Like, do I believe that I could go to art school now at my age? I certainly could, you know what I mean? But am I willing to spend the time away from my business that I already have, from my child who's very little, from my family, from my everything else, fully committed, you know, to doing this thing and whatever it is? And I don't know that I am, you know? It's the same thing as, like, would I like to be a world-class singer trombone player athlete i mean trombone, take your pick really? well okay piano player whatever it is you know what i mean but it's like are you willing to do the work are you willing to make the sacrifices it would take to get there are you willing to you know any of those things and it's like you know i i don't think so i th i've read a lot of things recently and i think the pandemic has brought it on for people about sort of accepting that you can just stink at your hobby and you can just like do something because it's fun and you don't have to be like an expert in it and that what is the problem with like okay so you did knitting for a year and now you're done with it okay so you did woodworking for a year and now you're done with it okay so you did hula hooping for a year and now you're done with it like great so you learned about all these different things if you you know what I mean that we like have this desire to professionalize everything and that everything has to be like a lifetime monogamy commitment to your hobby or something and it's like no you're, you're actually allowed to evolve. And I think it is the thing that we're recognizing more and more, even in like politicians, which is, I, I think people used to sort of hurl this idea at people, oh, you're a flip-flopper because they changed their mind about something, right? Now, sometimes it was because they said one thing and then did another thing when they got into office because they didn't need your vote anymore. But sometimes it's also like they got new information and changed their minds. And shouldn't we embrace people who want to grow, who yes. want to change, who like don't stay the same constantly. And I have to, I mean, I hope that our government officials get more information than I as a normal human being get and that are able to make decisions, do you know what I mean, based on more information than I am privy to, you know? Who knows though? I don't wanna talk about politics, but it just make me mad. But anyway, uh, I think that it's, it's one of those things where it's very hard to sort of be where you are right now, to not be thinking about where you, where you wish you were or where you could be, as opposed to sort of what your skill level ability, everything is right now and sort of be satisfied in that. Well, it's like some people, I, when you used to be a, a director, a stage director mm -hmm. and an artistic director of a theater company, so I met a lot of actors through you. Mm -hmm. And 
one of the things I noticed was the difference between people who wanted to be actors as opposed to those who wanted to do the acting. Do you know what I mean? There is a difference. Yeah, there is a difference. And I think there's the same thing. It's the same thing probably in a lot of different, you know, professions. And it's like, you have to think about what the day-to-day work of it is. I think we've talked about this, you know, a lot in terms of like running a store, like thinking about you better like running a store rather than like music, if you're going to have a music store or art, if you're going to have an art store. Um, So I think, again, like the, if you want to become a artist who makes a living as an artist, there's so much stuff that isn't making art. I mean, even for the stupid, uh, not stupid, even for these incredible art fairs that I'm doing, there's tons of like hand stamping packaging and then making little stickers that go on the back and then like punching individual holes. And then I was like, you know, last night at 10 o'clock at night after the baby went to bed, I'm block printing silver ink onto little cards to make like little black ink. And then I'm having to photograph everything. Then I have to do the social media post about it. Then I have to package everything. Then I ran out of packaging. Then I have to order some more supplies. And, I have da, 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 da. and none of that is making art really. Tent, banner, information, yeah. flyers. I just, you know, I filled out a little mailing list thing today. I was making a little price sheet that looked attractive, which I suppose you could call graphic design, but it's like, that's not really, you know, filling my heart with the joy of making art and so I think again it's like the more we professionalize things which I know can sometimes be a goal for people it's you have to ask yourself do you do the 75% of the job that's not the thing that you like well artistic director of a theater company might mean has meant cleaning the bathroom it, ha- it has meant that more often than I would like to say. As, as I said, when I left the biz, there were things I was willing to do at 20 that I was not willing to do when I was in my 30s. And that is part of the reason I just couldn't hack it anymore, you know? Or a ton of it was raising money. A ton of it was raising money. And I just got tired of having my hand out every time I saw people, so... Now I just have my hand out and say, I'll, I'll trade you a pair of earrings for some of your money. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that's the other thing, which is like, uh, you just have to decide what you're willing to do. As they say, what are you willing to trade? Are you willing to trade your time for money? Maybe you are and maybe you aren't. Anyway, that gets into the whole professionalism thing, which is like we could talk about for hours about professionalizing hobbies. But I do think it is related to failure success because I do think people, the money thing of hobbies, selling your work, or people say, oh, that's so good, I would buy that. And that's like the biggest compliment that anybody can give you or, you know, and I think like it's, it's, it is. Yeah, because, I'm going to ask you, can you support yourself on yeah. what you do? What they really want to know is how much money do you make? Yeah. You know, and then I'll judge whether or not you're successful. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like that's a weird thing. How, how money is your value or something like that, which I think is very problematic because I think the pandemic has certainly taught us anything. Some of the people who get paid the least amount of money are actually the most valuable people you know, in our society who are truly making things work on a daily basis for everyone else, you know? Sorry. Well, that phone call must mean that it's time for us to wrap up. It seems like a totally uh, 
appropriate place. I will just say that I have a couple of things coming up, um, which is one, keeping in mind um, that monthly membership is always here. Uh, and I have a uh, membership on YouTube, which is for Scan and Cut Club. And I have a membership on my balzerdesigns.com website that has a lot of different art adventures on it of all kinds. I am going to be teaching uh, a class called the Artful Holiday along with 18 other guest teachers. And when it comes to making these for the holidays, I think that people automatically think of major Christian holidays and that the phrase sort of craft project comes to mind. A lot of people, when I asked them to teach for the class, literally said the words to me, I don't really make holiday projects. And I was like, aha, well, that's the reason this class needs to exist because you do, you just don't realize it. Or there are lots of techniques you can take out of these projects to use for other things. And as part of that, so every Wednesday in the class, the class is 30 days, I, um, I teach a project where I show how to take the techniques and ideas from the projects that the other teachers are sharing and mush them into something entirely new. So it's really, it's really a technique class that happens to have projects along the way. So I think it's a lot of fun. You can find that at bowlsordesigns.com. And if you're interested in learning to articulate about your art and learning about defining failure and success, that actually is a lot of what Design Bootcamp is about. Um, so, you know, if you're not getting the results you want, if you want to refine your personal style, if you don't know how to tell when your work is done, if you struggle with decision making during your process, if you're looking for an art mentor, if you're seeking camaraderie from other artists, if you want to understand the structure of artwork, and if you're ready to work really, really hard for those goals. So that's Design Bootcamp, and you can see tons about that at juliebalzer.com. Um, and so, Mom, do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up? Well, I was thinking that you're one of my craft projects hmm. and uh i'll wait and see how it turns out before i judge whether it's a success or not i think that's fair although who's to say when it's done am i done well, now? exactly uh, okay, so if you want to decide whether or not you're done or tell me whether or not you think I'm done, we always love feedback. It's nice to hear comments. You can find me at juliebalzer.com or on Instagram or Facebook as Balzer Designs or YouTube too, for that matter. If you'd like to take a class with me or sign up for private coaching, I'd love to hear from you. And if you'd like to help the show, you can leave a review, mention us on social media, just tell a friend about it. All of those things really help people discover the show and that's what helps us. So thanks so much for listening and subscribing. We'll see you the next time on the Adventures in Arting podcast.